I think, I mean, okay, for the longest time, it took me so long. I might be the odd one out, but you kept saying AP, and I'm like, what the fuck? What is that? It's actual play. <laughs> it's actual play. Yeah, it took yes. me 40 <laughs> to 50 minutes to figure out what AP meant. Uh, <laughs> I am happy you said something, Adrian, because I, too, was like, AP, okay, assistant principal. I got that one, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense in this context. I think I got it a little bit sooner. I think it was around the 25 30 minute mark um <laughs> oh my god i'm, I'm so sorry this part and put it in the very beginning <laughs> no, no, no. i should have defined it <laughs> for me <laughs> people <Nope>. like me <laughs> no nope. hi and welcome to another episode of dungeons and degrees my name's adrian and i'm alex and today we have a special guest. Special guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm the special guest. Uh, I'm Connie. My pronouns are they, he, and she. You might know me across the internet uh, as at by Connie Chong, B-Y-C-O-N-N-I-E-C-H-A-N-G. Uh, I am the game master and creative producer for Transplaner RPG, uh, which is an all-transgender POC-led dark fantasy D&D show set in an original non-colonial anti-orientalist world. I like to pitch it and describe it as the L word, but a lot more diverse meets the literal end of the fucking world. Uh, so if queer drama and eldritch horror is your jam, you'll love our first main campaign the second stranger and uh yeah that's a quick little one too about what i do in the space and thank you so much for having me on adrian and alex of course never have uh, i opened up my spotify faster to immediately hit follow <laughs> to immediately download the first episode to immediately say hell yes let's go hell yeah another one on the board <laughs> uh, another one <laughs> all you had to say was the l word and then i was like ah shit okay yeah, i saw your eyes just yeah. light up <laughs> i have a photoshopped uh a poster of like the og l word with all of my cast's faces over each of their faces and i'm so sorry to whoever i made jenny <laughs> i forget who i put over jenny's face but i'm so sorry to that person <laughs> <laughs> And you're coming into, like, a final arc, is that correct? We are, yes. Uh, as of the recording of this, not sure when release schedules will line up, uh, we are yeah. pretty much midway through arc eight, which is our final arc. We've done, we've done eight arcs, which is truly incredible to think about, and each one has been anywhere from eight to 16 episodes long. Uh, so there's some variance, but that's a lot of content. Uh, and I'm kind of oh, in, yeah. like, a place where I'm doing a kind of retrospective on The Second Stranger in a way that feels really good because this is a campaign that's been two and a half, almost three years in the making at this point from when we first hit start uh, streaming to when we like finally finished up our last recording. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of emotions for myself as a game master and for uh, all eight members of my cast because this is really the campaign that helped like launch my career in TTRPGs in actual play in a lot of ways. And it's, it still is like a, a core part of who I am in the space and like a, a big project that I put a lot of heart and th uh, thought and soul into. Coming to the end, do you feel like you've wrapped everything up nice in a bow or like, do you feel like even though not everything will be answered, the finale will still be satisfying for you and your castmates? So as someone who uh, is a screenwriter uh, and also mm -hmm. like a, 
uh, a poet. I I worked very hard along with my dramaturg to make sure that the ending wraps everything up in a really nice way and that like big mm. world questions are all essentially answered and there's a lot of satisfaction I think thematically and for the characters and narratively as well. Uh, there are some open threads that may or may not set the stage uh, for manner of speaking uh, for our second main campaign, but we do plan on definitely taking like a, a, an extended hiatus uh, between our two main big projects mm. that we're going to fill with some nice like bonus content uh, on Transplaner. But yeah, more more the former than the latter, and that has largely been by design, uh, working with my dramaturg and of course we transitioned from live streaming on Twitch to pre-recording and then getting a VOD editor and an audio mixer to like add background music, cut out pauses, sound effects and all that between arcs uh, four and five. So arcs one through four are all live streamed uh, and arcs five through eight are all pre-recorded. Uh, and that has helped immensely with helping to tie everything up as well. Because we technically have finished recording like back in October of 2022, uh, but mm -hmm. the last episode of arc eight won't finish streaming until like February. Is there a different dynamic now that it's from four and five that you felt happened with it being a live stream, like having to always be like, on with personality to mm. like kind of keep things going versus now that you have a pre-record that you kind of have to lay back a bit yeah that's actually a really interesting question because uh since switching to pre-recording i have been in situations where i've been on stream for like other channels or like different one shots mm -hmm. or miniseries or whatnot and it's actually a harder switch to switch from pre-recorded to live and it was an easier switch from live to pre-recorded when we're talking purely in terms of performance and creativity like it's it's harder to be used to being able to do multiple takes or like not having the pressure of a live audience versus like being used to that and then switching to oh god i'm live all the time chat's going and there are like live incentives <laughs> and donations occurring and you know depending on the channel and depending on how they run their run their shit basically right. like it may or may not have more or less pressure in terms of audience interaction uh so transitioning in terms of like a performance mindset from live to pre-recorded was actually like really nice i would say that was one of the great boons of pre-recording versus streaming it's better for safety i would say uh it's it's better for just like being able to take breaks and redo takes that you might not be happy with which wouldn't really work if you were live you kind of just have to keep yeah. trucking in a lot of ways uh you can't recon of course if you're live especially if it's it's for something like safety but i just find that mm -hmm. like pragmatically it happens less like people are less like likely to ask for a redo if it's live on twitch um but more likely right. to do so if they feel like it's supported in terms of like a back-end pre-recorded situation uh but yeah it's also a lot of work uh, pre-recorded, like uh, uh, an astronomical amount more of more work <laughs> than live, yeah. especially because we do edits of our my dramaturg slash co-producer slash one of the players at my table, C. Thomas, uh, is also our bod editor, and they spend like five to eight hours a week, maybe. They used to spend more as they were getting used to editing because they didn't come from a video editing background, uh, mm -hmm. just editing a single episode. And that's not including the audio mixer we also have. Like, we have someone to, like, master all of our tracks to, like, and they spend a few hours a week doing that, too. So there's a lot more, like, post-production work, like, just in terms of sheer labor that's involved for mm -hmm. a pre-recorded show if you want it to be, like, tightly edited, tightly paced, well-produced uh, with, like, background and sound effects and stuff like that. That's amazing. That's a lot of production and a lot it of, is. like, cohesiveness needs yeah. to kind of go into that kind of upscale production to 100%. have it be streaming. What is the kind of, like, from one episode being recorded to it 
being finished, what does that kind of timeline look like? A lot of it depends. We kind of work backward from release schedule. So we try to like mm-hmm. line everything up to when we want the final things to be out. Uh, so, and a lot of it also depends on the cast's availability. Like the big bad of yeah. any TTRPG campaign is scheduling, <laughs> right? Like getting the players <laughs> actually to sit at a table and commit like a three to four hour right. chunk of their life to it. And especially for Arc 8, I had eight players at my table uh, for each episode, which was a gargantuan endeavor just in terms of sheer scheduling and spotlight juggling and all that. Uh, But that was done like in terms of the recording itself, purely based on people's schedules. I was like, we're going to have to work with what we have here. And then like other concerns can come later to a certain degree because we did have production needs that needed to happen. Like we, we didn't want to slash we couldn't push in terms of just like funding and other production issues like past a certain point of airing stuff so we knew we had to be done pre-recording by like the end of october we were like we could maybe push into the first week of november but like that would be really not ideal so the cast knew Mm -hmm. that and they were able to like prioritize within their own schedules and like make room and time for this uh, especially because it was just an eight episode arc uh so eight sessions and a a few players had to miss a few episodes you know like if you watch our vods of arc eight you'll notice a couple of people's like screens blacked out because they couldn't make it uh or because they had like conflicts ahead of time or anything like that but for the for the majority of the episodes most people were in attendance and i would say like from beginning of a recording to its airing there's the recording itself i mean the work starts before the recording right with me as a gm prepping the session uh yeah, and I, yeah, that yeah. that starts like way in advance that starts like at <laughs> least a week in advance to any session um because mm-hmm. we also have a dramaturg so i work with my dramaturg to come up with like the beats for that session i like have my notes i prep it out and then we record it and then we send it off to our audio mixer who like mixes all the tracks into a big master track. And then I, I send that over to my bot editor and they edit it the week before it uh, goes live. And then I put all of the VODs that we edit into my OBS and then we run the stream, right? So that's kind of like the life cycle of a pre-recorded uh, Arc 8 episode. There are so many moving pieces. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've seen, like, a podcast or two kind of, like, come and, like, lose people and go and then, like, have eight arcs worth of, like, material into, like, with, like, people being and showing up and those who, you know, make it and don't make it, like, to keep pushing through that, that's very amazing. Do you feel like if you could do it again, which I feel like you're... You know, as the new main campaign, you're going to do it again (laughs) in some form or fashion. Is there anything you would do differently? So many things. (laughs) So many things. (laughs) You're going to have to get, like, specific about the things I would change, like, from, like, a creative, developmental, a production, like, uh, community management standpoint. Like, there's so many lessons from just, like, the two and a half, three years of AP stuff I've been doing that I just, like, there's so many different things I would do. All right, All right let's give me come back. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, we, can, we got this. We got this. Okay, we can we can strategically get through these questions. Um, what are the two pieces of advice that you would tell season one GMU to do? Run it more like a story and less like a game. That would be the number one piece of advice. I think arc one Connie was still very much running transplanar like as a game first. 
uh, like very much like asking for history checks to unlock important lore, uh, doing random encounters uh, that don't, didn't really go anywhere. Uh, uh, running, I, <laughs> I, I ran a, a dungeon that had puzzles and traps, which every single one of my players freaking hated because they're like role play. <laughs> like I just. <laughs> there, there were just like some decisions I made from like a like an encounter building level that I would take, like would like gently like take past me by the shoulders and go, why are you putting this encounter in? How does it serve the greater plot? Um, and just in terms of like facilit like AP facilitation advice, I would give myself like, is this a promise you're setting up to the audience, and is it going to pay off? Because if it's a no and a no, don't include it. <laughs> like, that would be, like, the mm. number one, like, one of the number one pieces of, like, just facilitation advice. Another one would just be, like, I've learned so much just about, like, r running a ship and, like, uh, facilitating not just player characters, but players. And, like, knowing how to work with players who have their own lives and have their own different kinds of expectations about what an AP is and their own different approaches to performance and whatnot. Uh, that we didn't start Arc 1 with, like, any sort of player contracts or anything, like, written in paper or, like, fully acknowledged. Mm -hmm. but, like, we, we had, like, session zeros on, like, a big talk about what we wanted the show to be. Uh, but... Honestly, starting from ground zero, I would, like, tell myself, like, feel empowered to make decisions. Like, feel empowered to take, like, full creative ownership of this project and, like, be a showrunner and, like, go out and do stuff. Because I think a lot of myself behind behind the scenes in arc one, I was still very much trying to approach running Transplaner with a kind of horizontal leadership structure in mind. Very much, like, put in as much work as you want to put in and, like, you know, and we'll just go where we go. And, like, Transplaner is, mm -hmm. like... By all of us. But what ended up actually happening is I, I did the lion's share of work anyway, which I was I had basically expected and had signed up for. But the way it had been, like, I guess I was just kind of, like, either not confident enough or, like, not sure enough in my own vision to take full ownership over this particular project. So a lot of the, the ways in which I've grown over the past, like, two and a half years has also been in the arena of, like, no, actually, this is a professional show and I should be running it and thinking of it and treating it like that, which will, like, one, help me get my cast paid, like, legitimately. Like, if I, I'm thinking about, like, finances and money, it's good for everyone involved because that means everyone gets to be compensated a bit more equitably. And two, it reflects in the quality of the stream we put out, right? Because, like, the less, like, the mind shift away from, like, this is just, like, friends around a table who just happen to hit record uh, to, like, we're actually trying to, like, tell a cohesive and cogent story was one that I had, like, always wanted, even from the beginning of arc one, but didn't really know, I think, what it meant until I actually started putting my boots on the ground and, like, figuring it out through experience. Alex. <laughs> your brain. I saw your brain moving. I saw it no, tickling. No, 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 no. I did. I did. I did. But I didn't want to step on your toes again, okay? Because no, no, when I get rolling, toes, I, ro yeah. I start rolling. <laughs> no, no, no. No one. Adrian, this is a time for, for us to both be. Because, like, everything that Connie is putting out is tickling all sorts of different facets of, of, of places, right? Having that open conversation with your players about what you want to, what you want to achieve while you're at your table um, but also having really strong consequences, not maybe not strong consequences, but being able to set yourself up for success later and acknowledging, hey, these were the expectations. We wrote them out and here it is. And I want to have a conversation about you with like, hey, let's check in about what what we all expected, because 
at one point you sat down and said, this is what it is. It's in writing. So it's a little more formal than like, like you said, like friends around the table playing games, um, which is wonderful and a, and a, a fabulous thing to do. But if your spirit says that you need to shift it otherwise, then by all means shift it. And like, it's, it's really fantastic to hear like someone talking through that. And like all the things that we talk about as DMS or, or, or game masters, like Mm -hmm. it still plays out, right? How do I have the buy-in for my players? How do I create a better story? What do I do? And how do I reach my players in a way that they really want? If your players don't like puzzles, then don't put puzzles in there. Or put a puzzle in a way that makes you happy and maybe like still is, is geared towards your your players if you still want to have some sort of puzzle aspect. Like like find ways to reach them because honestly they're the ones that are in charge. And like you as the, the game master are facilitating the fun or the story. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's like ringing a lot of bells, like because one, I've finished my first arc on, on my own show and there's been there's been big changes since that arc ended because like some people can't put in that work that needs to be put in so this is hopefully by by this time we've already said that one of our players has to leave because they they got a new job they're moving we're losing a fifth of the cast which just feels so huge just one player out so like now that I have to like re- rethink how I want to approach the this new campaign so like your advice to Arc one, Connie is like hitting me in the head right now. Hard. <laughs> yeah, I'm always down to talk about like the differences between I think running a home game versus running an AP. I think like so this is one of those like cyclical conversations that comes up in yeah. TTRPG Twitter. Like every like like clockwork, every three months, it's like a, a topic <laughs> of the day is like. You know, if you're playing or running an AP, it's different from playing or running a home game. And there's always the same people and the same takes, like, underneath that take being like, no, it's not. You know, or like, how it, no, it shouldn't be, or like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know. People can, folks can run their home games and their APs however they want, like, for whatever works for them. But I'm, I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum at all, especially if it's not hurting anyone. And if it's, like, how they have the most fun, like, go for it. Like, I, I empower mm-hmm. you. Yes, if you like random, random encounters, if you like puzzles, like, go for it. Throw them at your players. Like, go you. Yay. Um, in terms of my own approach, I have just found that it's, like, so much smoother uh and for me much more narratively fulfilling for everyone involved from myself as a player for myself as a gm to my players to the audience if like there's a consensus from everyone at the table about what the themes are uh what their character arcs are might look like uh and what like the big conflicts of the show uh, are going to be which then like helps players facilitate their own role playing their own performances and their own like uh, portrayal of their character from point A to point Z by the end of the campaign, right? Like, mm-hmm. which is why I always try to provide my players during session zero, whether it's for transplaners main campaign or for the various mini series or like one shots we do, uh, with like a, a very cohesive session zero that covers the specific topics and themes and encourages my players to build their characters around those topics. So like the show feels like interwoven with each other and like every mm-hmm. layer of creativity from npcs to pcs to plot hooks uh to just like the overall dramaturgy of the world resonates within itself right uh like the one of the central themes of transplaner is about 
uh, queer, finding queer love in the, the depths of darkness, right? And how like love is expansive and transformative and deeply, deeply hopeful. Uh, and that has resonated across every character that all of my players have brought to the table and resonated across like pretty much every single NPC, major NPCs, like central stories and objectives and goals too, like that theme. And, you know, it's important also that the theme is like broad enough that like players can bring mm -hmm. their own ideas to it. So, and is not so specific as like, we are exploring 1923 through 1925 economic like da 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 da, -da in this specific town in this you know like that that then that's less of a theme and more of a more of an aesthetic i suppose uh so yeah, yeah i would say that that like for any ap especially people who are like first starting out with producing their own ap's or running their own ap's like just have an idea of what you want your show to be about which is different from its plot the plot is different from the theme, uh, though they should be connected. And like, just be a be aware of the kinds of stories you're telling and drawn to, uh, and be upfront about that to your players. Because horror means different to different people, different things to different people, right? Like, I love horror, but I wouldn't want to be in a horror campaign that's like super super gory or deals with like like sexual assault. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. some people might, right? You know, like Bluebeard's Bride deals with a lot of heavy themes. And that's like a great horror game that I wouldn't recommend to everyone unilaterally, right? So like, mm -hmm. there's also safety considerations when we talk about like, being aware of the themes we bring to the table. Right, of course. Is there a specific storyline that came out that you were surprised that came out? Not that it was out of the blue. It's just something like the way that it turned or there was some something that happened it that was uh, different than you expected. Yes. Yes. Uh, a lot of the th twists and turns of subplots that occur in The Second Stranger actually, like, end up, like, pretty thematically resonant, which I'm really happy about. Uh, there's one, this is spoilers for, like, arc five of translator this is a spoiler so if you if you haven't seen up to that point or watched up to that point this is a big spoiler but it's fine i'll talk about it. it's okay um there is a a, a mini boss a kind of like a, a goon a side villain who like serves the bigger villain and his name is adam uh and he's super like weird so like he, we're, he's introduced in arc one and immediately my players are like this man is weird because first of all he's like the first and only white male npc i've ever introduced into in the second stranger like every other <laughs> character is a person of color uh and and or like not a cis man and he's like just this white guy so immediately my players were like what is up with this dude <laughs> like he doesn't fit into the setting but like what is happening uh so by <laughs> this just kind of organically emerged a little bit because my players were theorizing out loud and i was like i'm gonna steal that theory because it's better than what i came <laughs> up with and use it for this character uh that that a twist is he's actually just a normal dude from cincinnati ohio who flew through a wormhole and got stuck in this like off the walls fantasy world uh in the middle of an apocalypse and all he wants to do is go home he just wants to go home, drink a monster energy, and, like, eat a Hot Pocket. Like, he, he doesn't want to be caught up in all this shit anymore. Uh, so, like, Adam, who kind of started off as, like, a goofy, like, cartoon-level evil white dude villain, like, by the end, also, like, became complicated, right? He's like, I know I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. Please just let me go so I can go home, go back to my shitty little apartment in Cincinnati, and, like, like watch my sports team lose. You know, like, that's all I want to do. So, like, his... <laughs> 
pure mundanity took on a kind of tragic edge by the end, especially given how his character arc is wrapped up. And, like, PCs who started off hating him and had very specific beef with him, like, ended it feeling feeling for him and, like, developing an actually interesting relationship with this dude who had kind of just started a little bit in terms of, like, his his personality a little bit like a joke. But he, he had always been very menacing and sinister. Uh, but, like, adding on these layers of tragedy, right, and, like, drilling down deep into Adam has been one of, like, the, the joys, I think, the unexpected joys of just facilitating this game. Not a white dude from Cincinnati coming in. He was a big bad for the longest time. <laughs> Some dude from Cincinnati. His little Bengals jersey on. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> That's pretty fucking great. Do we, Alex, do we just keep going down the line? of Now do we go to uh, Arc 2, Connie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if we want to do a a play, it feels like we're going to be here for a while if we keep doing it that way. I mean, listen, I I think it's it's whatever, whatever it is. It's it's it feels organic. It feels organic. All right. What would you advise for Arc 2, Connie? Arc 2 is a wild ride. Arc 2 is the Court of Ravens. Each arc, essentially, up until like the, the last two arcs, follows the party as they try to solve a specific kind of mystery uh, related to a specific part of the world. So they go to different countries and kingdoms, essentially, from like arc to arc. Uh, and the mystery is always magical in nature and are like connected. Like The mysteries are connected. And that's all set up in like arc 1. Arc 2, the mystery was people aren't dying in the Court of Ravens, which is ruled by the Raven Queen. Like There's this thing called the... Um, the profane undeath that like keeps people alive even if they've taken grievous injuries and like part of like my hope when i first set this up was like i really want a pc to die and then not die <laughs> i was like i want a pc to take like a horrific i want them to get decapitated or like stab through the heart and like realize oh fuck like we can't die that never happened uh- that, that never happened. Um, so I think a specific piece of advice I would have given Arc 2 Connie is kill a PC. Like, straight up, just do it. Just kill one of them. You, you had so many opportunities. You should have just dealt the killing blow. Uh, that would have been one of them. Uh, another one of them, I think, would have been... This is... We're getting kind of specific. Uh, but w- yeah, it would have yeah, been... Okay. Re- uh, related to the portrayal of Rev, who was one of the major NPCs of Arc 2, who was introduced in Arc 1. And she, like... I'm, I'm happy with the way I portrayed her, but I think I could have hit my players ha- a little harder even. Like, just over the course of arcs one through eight, I've really gotten to know Rev really well as an NPC, and arc mm-hmm. two was in a lot of ways Rev's arc. Like, it's when she gets over a lot of, like, baggage, basically, and, like, claims her rightful place in the flow of destiny. She, like, becomes a paragon. And I'm mostly happy with how I facilitated it, and I did describe her ascension, but it did kind of also happen off screen. So, you know, like in terms of like little things, I, I would have wanted the PCs to be there when she ascended. And for, you know, that rev relationship to be more directly tied to the other thing that was happening in Arc 2, which was the derelict death derby, which was basically like a a, a race through the swamp to a whirlpool. Yeah, and like a, a bunch of people were... uh flocking to uh the court because of the undeath they're like we can't die here so let's throw on like essentially like a demolition derby but in the middle of a swamp because we can't die Mm -hmm. uh and like the winner is gonna get to talk to the champion of nabal 
uh, and Nabal is a kingdom that the players explore in Arc 3. So what I am proud of myself for doing is setting up a very, like, clear transition between each arc. Like, Arc 1 to Arc 2 is really clear why the PCs had to go there. And by the end of Arc 2, our players win the Derby and they receive an invitation to talk to Atalanta, who is the ruler of Nabal. So they go to Nabal in Arc 3 and they explore the mystery in Nabal there. So that's something I would keep. That's something I, I think I handled pretty well. Uh, but nice. in terms of, like, the little things I would change... Reb's portrayal, I would just hit harder because I, I now in retrospect and know who she is better. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, having her be a bigger presence, I think, and kill, <laughs> killing one of my PCs. <laughs> Torture uh, the PCs is what exactly. I heard. That's exactly. the, yes. The subsection of this is just. Torture they could PCs. have such a cool scar. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. All right. Arc three, Connie. Arc 3, to be quite honest, is I think where I start to hit my stride. Like, Arcs 1 and 2 aren't bad. Uh, I, I don't think... They're a lot more trad D&D, though. Like, in terms of how I mm-hmm. ran them. Uh, though there were some, like, glimpses of, like, narrative combat uh, that I have kept uh, through to, like, Arc 8. But Arc 3, in terms of the themes, and in terms of the emotional stories, and in terms of my PC's backstories, I think is where I really start to hit my stride. Uh, It's the carnival arc. So the mystery for Arc 3 is, there's this carnival that everyone's talking about that's happening in, in, like, the middle of the woods, and people who go into it don't come out. So, like, the ruler of this place is like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, go check it out. So the player, our, our, the players end up checking it out. They don't get to the carnival until halfway through the arc, which I think is okay, because there's a lot of political stuff that I had to set up in the first half for the second half to make sense. And, like, the carnival yeah. is, like, such a looming thing that it was kind of fun that they went into it in, at the midpoint. I... Yeah, the 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 carnival is honestly just like off off the walls, just truly unhinged and ridiculous. It's like <laughs> a psychedelic nightmare, uh, hallucinogenic tripscape uh, that the players go through with their deepest flaws taunting them. Like that's the whole point of arc three. Like it's their deepest flaws come to surface, all uh, their worst mistakes, all the reasons they hate themselves and each other uh, come up. And this is also when one of my uh, PCs, uh, the first PC in the party ascends to Paragon hood. Uh, and that was a really dope moment. This was also when I, I really started to vocalize and sp- like, introduce more gods uh as like active forces in the world uh and in terms of advice i would say i don't know if i would have any specific advice for myself in arc 3 because i think i needed to make the decisions i did and run the npcs the way i did to be able to get to where i am currently uh so maybe just (laughs) Maybe just making Kane sluttier. Uh, that's like one NPC that ends up being a love interest. Like, honestly, that's my main piece of advice. Make them sluttier. Uh, to be quite frank. Yeah, excellent piece. <laughs> yeah. They were slutty, but I think I could have dialed it up even more. <laughs> how much of the story was written before you guys started recording? Like, how much of the, your your moments or your beats, how, many, how much of that was completed before you recorded? That's a really great question. Um, and the ending... 
of the entire thing, the ending of the entire campaign, I already knew what was what it was going to look like or like what the 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 finale would look like uh before we hit record for our one episode one uh before we we streamed for that uh so that's always been a known factor for me but how we got there uh what came of the finale like the true ending like i knew what the boss fight was gonna look like essentially like i knew who the big bad was and like what they wanted uh and like what their version of the best end would have been but a lot of the little things a lot of like the the little like the character subplots and like the actual session to session scene to scene encountered encounter way that things played out uh a lot of it was only decided maybe like a, a week in advance when i was doing session prep for that particular session i would say i i always knew what the overall shape of the campaign would be but like the specifics were filled in as we went uh and there was still a lot of room for improvisation and things going off the hinges and off the rails and players introducing their own ideas and their own theories that i would yoink or like change or like have influence the greater plans of of myself as a gm uh so, yeah, I would say maybe, like, 50% of it was decided, and the other 50 was discovered. I like that. Was there an alternate ending for your big bad? Not any that I had visualized until I started looking at Arc 8. Uh, because by that point, my PC's relationship to the big bad and their own character arcs had kind of crystallized. Like everyone sort of knew what their characters were and what they wanted by that point mm -hmm. that it was pretty easy to think of like, okay, and I actually, we, for, we had a arc eight session zero where we sat everyone down and we were like, what would be an ending for each of your individual characters that you would be okay with? Like that, that would be, that you would be like, ideally like, Oh, this is my happy ending. Like, what is a happy ending you would want? What would be a tragic ending you'd be okay with? Basically, would be would you be okay with your PC dying? And what would be, like, an outcome that you just wouldn't be cool with as a player? Like, not as a PC, but as a player. So we talked through those options. And just in terms of safety and, like, narrative satisfaction and cohesion, like, it was good to know the specific kinds of endings for my players' characters that they just didn't want. Uh, because it just wouldn't it just wouldn't make sense for their character. Like, it just wouldn't be satisfying for anyone involved. Like, me as a GM, them as a player, or even the audience. So I avoided those. I discarded all of those. I was like, okay, that's not going to happen. But between, like, this gray area that's full of just nice narrative grist I could pour into the sawmill of narrative and churn out a cohesive story with, like, there was a lot to work with. A lot of clay to shape. I really like that. And then, and I guess going off of, like, how much of... of talking with your players since you are creating this right for a story having a cohesive idea of what's going on um how much do you share behind the screen with your players maybe beforehand or during or whenever like how much do they get to see behind what you're doing that's a good question too and you lie to them yeah. <laughs> so I don't actually ever directly lie. Like I say X is going to happen and then Y happens instead, but I do omit. <laughs> I do I do lie by omission. Um and it's like the fun kind of omission, right? Like cuz I I what I will say is I I very rarely give big plot twists away. Like I just think it's fun if like the first time they encounter like an actual twist is when we're recording because then their reactions are genuine and that's like part of the fun of playing right that's like a big part of the fun mm -hmm. of being a player um i do give my players heads up uh for specific circumstances one is for safety reasons if i'm like de designing an encounter and i'm like oh 
we have a veil around like heights and let's say the encounter like would involve flying into the air or something like then i'd be like ooh, and i might reach out to that player in particular and be like hey i'm designing a thing like would you be comfortable if abc you know and like that's just like a safety thing uh another situation in which i might give a player or players heads up is if if the session is going to have parts of it or if the entire thing are going to be kind of that character heavy like if it's going to be a kind of spotlight episode for that character or like a, even a spotlight arc i would want to put in a little bit of extra work with that player one-on-one -on -one to just sort of like decide like okay are you ready for the session do you kind of know the scenes you're going to go into about do you like have stuff prepped for where you could facilitate your character's emotional arc during this session or during this this entire season uh that feels important and is uh always very appreciated by the player uh because like then they're able to prep themselves as an actor and as a performer like for the set the recording they're about to go into knowing that like it's going to be kind of focused on them something i always like to do as well is to give my players usually uh a day before uh the night before or like two nights before the session recording itself uh what i call like a, a session overview so this isn't like a script like, this isn't like, we're going to go here and then there and then there, and you're going to meet this character and talk and say this to them and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not a script. It's just kind of like a general plot and thematic overview of what they can expect that session. So like, okay, we're going to open on uh, the war leaders war camp, because that's where you were last session, where you're going to wrap up the conversation you have with this... Um, this this uh, leader of this uh, this faction. And then, like, there's probably going to be some combat happening uh and then in the second half like i ooh, like dewey and Vasanti, i knew the two of you really wanted to have a conversation so i've made some room for the two of you to have that conversation and we're going to end on a classic honey cliffhanger that's about how specific and explicit things get but it's even that is very helpful because then like especially in arc eight when there are eight players at a table like if they know, okay, in this session, these are the scenes I'm in and these are the scenes I'm not in, it helps them realize, like, okay, I can just sit back for this scene and not be like, should my character come in and say something? Should I not? Uh, because that's, like, eight different people stepping over each other's toes, which, especially over a digital format, is just, like, not impossible to deal with if you don't have, like, some mm -hmm. kind of plan in place. Um, so, yeah. Well, I, I like the idea of, like, hey, I know you want to talk or have this, some, like, narrative points we will have time in this area that will happen during this session so here this is just for y'all there's many times when my players personally have just been like hey i want to do some rp because we've been just like going through the story we've been lore dumping we've done all this but i want to like talk to the other players i'm like okay yeah yeah, yeah. and i can just carve out a piece but like having that prepared ahead of time is just something that well me as a dm who rarely preps just so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's a little bit of a game changer, to be quite honest, especially for an AP. Like, something I have noticed as a player in APs mm -hmm. is, and I, I also sympathize with GMs because I am also a GM, uh, where, like, it's kind of like, okay, this is an AP. Stuff has to happen. The plot has to move. Like, move, 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 move. And, like, there's, especially in arc one and a little bit arc two, but I kind of, like, peeled back on this in arc three, uh, is this idea of, like, roleplay i guess i had this kind of misconception in my own mind that roleplay scenes weren't interesting mm -hmm. or like they didn't move the needle of plot so i'd be like so like if my players wanted to talk to each other i just want to sit back and be like okay i'd be let's gonna attack now you know like be like oh god like now, now i'm gonna move the plot forward but actually it is like and this is i think a way that i've matured significantly as a gm mm -hmm. like actually 
being really invested in my players' stories and in their role play and in their relationships to each other as players and player characters and the world. It, like, they're the main characters for a reason, right? And, like, role play scenes aren't just filler, which I think was, for me, a kind of worry I had. Like, they are crucial in getting the audience to give a shit about the main characters, first of all, and also for them to understand the main characters and their motivations so those things hit harder when the backstory twists inevitably happen. Uh, so... I would say, like, giving your players, if you know, uh, a heads up in advance of, like, scenes they can expect to encounter that are related to their backstory or, like, that are roleplay focused is huge. Because then that player can prep. That player can even, like, maybe, like, come up with some lines that they might say or, like, come up with, like, like just get into, like, a, a, the, a nice acting and performance mindset when it actually occurs uh, versus, like, okay, here's just an open RP scene for all four of you. Like, oh, you're traveling from, like, point A to point B, go. Then it's just like, <laughs> man, that merchant we killed. Am I right? You know, like, what are you even talking about? So it's nice. That's the weather. <laughs> exactly. It's nice when players, especially in an AP, have a topic they can discuss, right? That isn't just like, go. Which, you know, like, some people can. Some people can just go. Uh, but for a lot of people, it's helpful to have a direction. And even for people who can just go, like, whether or not that scene will actually be narratively compelling or thematically resonant is another thing, right? Because you could just talk about the merchant you killed, or you could talk about your, like, daddy issues, right? That have been kind of hinted at this entire campaign, but never fully explored. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is the opportunity to, like, bring it up, right? I think, I mean, okay, for the longest time, it took me so long. I might be the odd one out, but you kept saying AP, and I'm like... What is that? It's actual play. It's actual play. Yeah, it took yes. me 40 <laughs> to 50 minutes to figure what AP meant. Uh, <laughs> I am happy you said something, Adrian, because I too was like, AP, okay, assistant principal. I got that one. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense in this context. I think I got it a little bit sooner. I think it was around the 25, 30 minute mark. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I'm, I'm so sorry. Take this part and put it in the very beginning. <laughs> no, no, no. I should have defined it. <laughs> For me. <laughs> People <Nope>. like me. <laughs> nope. And that's okay, because there's, like, there's just a lot of different... What's the word for it? Um, Acronyms? Is that an, talking about an acronym? About AP. AP, is that an acronym? What's an acronym? I think, I, I think an acronym is, is letters that stand for a greater uh, word. Oh, I may have been wrong. An abbreviated <sighs> form from initials like uh, NASA. Yeah. yeah AB is an acronym. You were right. Yeah, okay. So see, look. Sick. I've been stuck in this house for two days, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's my excuse. But I do that a lot in these, in these episodes. Uh, a lot of people use different abbreviations and acronyms and i'm like yeah sure i absolutely know what you're talking about easily please ah. if i if i use another acronym and you're like i don't know what that means please ask like because i never, i might just like never. throw terminology around i also had to look up dramaturgy <laughs> i thought this was a like a well-known figure and i'm like <laughs> no, like a, like actually, someone's username <laughs> I, I, I don't fault you for being unfamiliar with the term dramaturgy. This is also uh, relatively new or uncommon, even in APs. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know another channel that uses a dramaturg outside of, like, Dimension 20. And, and they call, the, the role is known as a lore keeper. Gotcha. 
Man, I need a lore keeper. Hello, dog. <laughs> don't don't ask questions right now. This is what he wants. Okay, this is look at his little tail. His little shaking. tail. Don't 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 <laughs> give it to him because the awkward way that I have to this hold this dog is self-inflicted over twelve years. Are you done yet? He's no. such a handsome boy. Hello. He is. Look, this is Watson. Watson <gasps> is a handsome boy. Very rarely is in the podcasting room when it happened, but he didn't want to leave because he was snuggled in his cuddler. But now he is wanting to escape, but um, doesn't actually want to escape. He just wants, like, intense cuddles. and mm. <sighs> Is he a, is he a sausage he dog? Is... is he a wiener? He is, he is part sausage. Mm-hmm. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Hide his shame. Show, show straight peen. <laughs> Sausage. <laughs> like, no, wait, stop. Uh, yes, he's a street dog. Uh, mm. I got him from the. He's a rescue. They're all rescues. There's. Mm. He's very cute. Thank you. So, there's the Watson for our podcast where people can't see the video. <laughs> Watson is a very cute. The dog portion that no one can see. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, it's like, I don't know. I, I've cut like so much dog portion out of our, our podcast. So it's just one long it's extra. The dog cuts. Yeah, the dog cuts. I have all the dog cuts in like from, like, it's been like either every session or every other session we have some dog conversation. It just, it's been a while since we've had any dog action. Honestly, it's been a honestly, little bit. Honestly, you're right. You're right. Uh, speaking of like not knowing acronyms i was talking to some people who aren't in the space or who don't play board games that often and i'm just like yeah ttrpgs and I'm, they're like hold up you gotta <laughs> slow down for me and i'm like i'm so sorry this is just common lingo i'm throwing out mm-hmm. mmorpg yeah yes yes, yes, yes. Uh, once yeah. you get the rpg portion like you're just looking at another three letters <laughs> exactly <laughs> um Hold on. You're gonna get the dog you, out? You talk, I gotta let the dogs out. Oh, Actually, God. uh my food has gotten here, so let me just bring it yes. in from the cold. I'll be right back. Sounds good. Alright, it's just me now. Hey everybody. Thank you for uh hanging out with us today. Uh just been a real good time, just me and the the folks here over here in the podcast land are just having a grand old time, okay? Nobody's doing anything. Nobody's just just chilling out here, just having a good old time, just me by myself. I'm sorry, I just let them out. (laughs) I know, it's okay. Connie went to go get their food. Oh, good, good. See? I'm back. If they're cold, if you're cold, they're cold. Oh, <laughs> uh, we got Is that a whole ramen. sentence. Did I just say, "What'd you get food?" <laughs> I, I understood know, it. it I understood it. So it, it, it served its purpose, which is communication. Um, ramen. We, we got oh, ramen. Hell, fucking hell yes. yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm oh, so that excited. That sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Got a beef this is, this is definitely where I put the internet. Hell cut. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, what's your uh, go-to ramen? What do you like in ramen? Go-to ramen. Yeah. Anything, anything with udon noodles. I like tonkatsu, mm. um, mm. but I'm down with others. But that's like the only one they had at when I worked at P of Chang's, and they had ramen for a, a, like a three month stint. <laughs> it's like the only one I was able to get to. There's some good ramen places in Dallas that I haven't tried. You spent hold on. I've just realized like oh you spent a lot of time with like not good like any Asian food. Like nothing. You you spent a large portion of your life. <laughs> Zero. 
That's strategy and options. I went to Alpine for two years, and that was a desert of, like, culinary experience. I freaking, Oof. what, McDonald's, Subway, we're good. That's it. That's all we got out there. The middle of nowhere. That's tragic. Uh, I, I grew up in Shanghai, uh, China, and, like, I there was no lack of good food. It was mwah, so good. Ever, like, <sighs> red glazed pork ribs. Uh, like stir-fried celery and wood ear, stir-fried egg and tomato, all kinds of fish and seafood. And then I came to the States and I was like, what is this? Like I had my first ever like Panda Express and I was like, this is delicious. (laughs) I was like, this is delicious. This is delicious. This is diasporic Chinese food. It is not like mainland China Chinese food, but it is, it slaps. I was like, sour chicken, never heard of her. This is like orange chicken. Like this is yummy. This is so yummy. So I, I've come <laughs> to love Chinese American food and like mainland Chinese food. Yeah, that was that was an interesting digression. <laughs> Please continue. That's <laughs> no, all good. Listen, at least I, I mean there was some like nice like Mexican restaurants over there, but mm. they're far and few between because restaurants over there in the middle of nowhere, family owned at least, were there for a bit. You know, as long as you had, like, a good customer base, they would st- stick around. But if, if you betrayed the customer's, like, trust, game over. There's only, like, ten people out there. Mm. <laughs> over-exaggerating. All right. We're getting Are close to the Are you, though? End. What? Are you over-exaggerating? Yeah, There's, like, I don't ten know. people. <laughs> Shut up. It's, like, 20, okay? <laughs> Me, my boss, and the other people that I have to take care of. <laughs> Well, no. Texas must have really good, like, Mexican food, though, right? Oh, yeah. It just depends where you are. Like, if you're... Mm. Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some dissing on Austin. <laughs> Fucking Austin does not count they, they, as any like, they're sort like, of... Oh, we have the best tacos, but they're like, like, like hipster tacos, mm. and they're like not like the greasy, disgusting, like, oh, every God. red beans and rice. Oh. I said mm. red beans and rice, but like beans and rice. You did say red beans and rice. I was thinking about Are you red beans even? and rice. You like live in San Antonio too. Like San Antonio's pretty good. San Antonio's good. But I don't think it's the best. I'm still looking though. You know? We do have a traditional Mexican restaurant that we go to. And then like I love Tex Mex. Like literally, I don't give a shit. I don't I don't I will eat it. I I don't even care if I can eat any of it. I don't even care. I will eat all of it. <laughs> okay. I don't care. Just don't tell me what it is. At some point, just don't tell me. Oh, but, you mean um, like lengua? Okay, like I love lengua. I, don't, I know I what that love, is. I love. Don't tell me the words because I know what the words mean. Just tell me it's good. <laughs> you don't even want that. You've been around too long. You already know what this menudo. I, I don't need to know. I don't need to know what okay, it's made okay, of. Okay, I don't need I you to tell, tell me. I love it. I, I love that shit. It. I just need to tell me it's good, right? I don't. <laughs> I don't need to know Lingua's where it so was good. made. It's so good. <laughs> I grew up. I grew up it eating uh, duck tongues as a snack too. Mm-hmm. I love tongues. I love feet. I love all kinds of extremities from animals. <laughs> um, Mexican food is essentially non-existent in China. Like I, I didn't have quote unquote real Mexican food until I came to the states, and I was like, this is freaking delicious. This is a burrito. I was like, this is revolutionary. Uh, and when <laughs> my partner and everything. I. <laughs> you know, literally, uh, when we visited, um, went back to China back in like 2019, like right before COVID, uh, their American 
uh, and they're white. And they there, there was a moment where, so they got stared at a lot because they also look queer as hell. They have so many piercings and tattoos. They got stopped more times than I can count because people were like, you're so beautiful. You're a model. Let me take pictures of you. And I'm like, they're just, they're, they're, they are beautiful. Yes, they are like a model. Yes. But also like it's the novelty of seeing a white American in the wild with like piercings and stuff. Um, and th- there was, we were about two weeks into our stay in China. This is our first time in China. Uh, and they were like, I really want Mexican food. Like I'm craving Taco Bell. Like I'm craving a quesadilla. And I'm like, See, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. Uh, so we did our best to find a, a Mexican joint, but they put mayonnaise in their taco. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. They put they put mayonnaise in their taco. That's that's pretty white. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there. It's not like I said. There's no Mexican food. The time I spent in Florida, uh... <laughs> which is just like another country sometimes. <laughs> as well um my roommate was from louisiana but was a transplant um during katrina in in dallas in texas so we both were aware of what mexican food could bring and so we were like just one day we were like oh my god i just want like a taco and so we go to the magic kingdom because it was free for us to eat and we were working at disney at the time and we walk in and the only mexican restaurant on property it was like, I was like, oh, hell yeah, taco salad. Like, give me that good, good taco salad. Like, I want the shell with the beans. And it was literally just a, t- a salad in, like, a taco <sighs> shell. No beans, no, like, taco. I was just like, what the? This is like a Caesar salad in a goddamn <laughs> chip. Not the Caesar, not the iceberg lettuce. No. <laughs> That's awful. I was like, I've never been betrayed. And then we couldn't find tortillas. It took us like 45 mm-hmm. minutes to find tortillas because they are not in the bread aisle where they should be. Um, they were Wait, in... not? No, they're oh, not. <laughs> it's not where you put, I guess, tortillas because it's it's international food. So it goes in the international <laughs> aisle. That's hilarious. Not for Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it was international for Florida, I guess. Oh, my God. I wanted to die. I All love right. this segue food the, the Listen, food it's section. not a bad segue okay it's, tav- it's tavern chat okay it's the tavern chat yeah 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 yeah. oh my gosh you know what i okay so going back into like the role-playing <laughs> aspect having to make up like what's on the menu i've had that question when i play the game when i enter a tavern or something all the time i'm like uh like when it's like low end mutton you know there you go that's as far as my imagination goes but they're like we went to a high-end place and i'm like They've got everything. You name it, they got it. Like, I don't know how far my creative ability can go to just single out, like, a a slew of, like, these are the only things that are in this restaurant. Uh, My my players are, will ask over and over, oh, please, be more specific every single time. (laughs) That's hilarious, because they're torturing you. That's when the players get to yes. torture the GM. Like, like, dance for us. Yes, come up with a silly voice for this character. <laughs> Tell us what's on the menu. Tell us. I actually, uh, I've never been asked that question before by my players. Really? Uh, we just don't really make pit stops in taverns uh, uh, that much. But, but, uh, one of my greatest, deepest joys in, like, world building when I have extra time is to come up with various foods uh, of the various kingdoms in uh, my world, Andake, uh, the setting for the second stranger. And Andake is uh, explicitly and specifically based on various Asian mythologies. Uh, so there are certain countries and kingdoms that are, like, loosely inspired by, like, um, 
Tang Dynasty China, uh, as well as like Warring States period uh, Japan, uh, as well as like uh, pre-colonial um, Hawaii uh, and other areas so, uh, uh, like that. Uh, like Mongolia as well is another inspiration. So it was quite important to me that for those specific like countries that a lot of the food inspiration I was creating was like rooted in real world uh, cultural touchstones as well. Like this idea of like a, a beautiful Tulongan roast duck, right? Like the, mm-hmm. you know, that's like the capital chef's specialty, right? And like a, a 10,000 year old egg as opposed to a thousand year old egg, like little fantasy <laughs> twists on like real world dishes. Uh, and like for your world in particular, like if something that's fun is to bring in like a fantasy element too, right? Like a magical element mm-hmm. into the dishes. Like this isn't just like uh, goat, cheese curd this is like a devil goat (laughs) like this is a devil goat cheese curd that if you eat it like will increase your like uh deck saves for uh like by a plus two for a day but you'll also become irresistible to goats or something like that or like adding in a little (laughs) bit of like a a strange uh, twist adrian torture them back torture them back torture them back tempt them (laughs) to eat interesting things on a menu and then like hit them with like fun things Listen, I, I've 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 seen Connie's way of, of like getting in the player's head. I, this morning there was a, a a video of you fourth wall breaking your players. <laughs> the initiative it's one, literally, right? yeah, yeah. The initiative one where like the the big bad was like, I don't want the big strong like barbarian. I want the bard to go first, the weakling. That's why you look familiar to me because I posted on that specifically asking you to come record with us. I, posted, I, I was doing my goddamn job and finding people and I was so proud of myself and I've been sitting here for an hour and I was like, I fucking know Connie. Like I know, I know this person. I'm done. I quit. Adrian, I'm sorry I'm like- I feel. I fail. My Listen, job. I'm on top of the the getting people game. Okay, it's. <laughs> I know. I. I mean, I know we have once been a quarter. About... Once a quarter, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once a quarter, you get like like a whole month worth, and it's very good. Okay. What I will say is, what really stood out to me about your email is that you were clearly familiar with the content. And, like, where we were in terms of, like, production. Like, you had mentioned, like, the eight arcs and that we were, like, wrapping up soon. And, like, that honestly is, like, not very common. Uh, In terms of, like, the people who reach out to me, sometimes it's clear that it was just a copy-paste template, which is fine. And I'm always very, like, honored and very grateful and appreciative whenever anyone reaches out to me about anything. Like, it's, it's... a huge honor, uh, but that did that did stand out in a, in a really positive way and in a good way, uh, and and ma- made me want to respond because it's nice. I was like, oh, there's that like extra personal touch. Like this Adrian yeah, person no. like actually did, a, did some <laughs> research <laughs> and like it kind of knows who I am. So that was nice. I appreciate. Yeah, no, I've seen your content here and there, but then like the thing that that I wanted to know about because like I could like copy paste that a similar message to everybody that has like a podcast stream on. But there's something that I need to know know that I want to know about, which is, like, finishing up an arc. Because I mm. think that's so, like, that's so intense to me. Mm-hmm. That, one, it's scary for me as someone who's creating something as well. And, two, like, all these questions that I have for myself, maybe I can get some information from somebody 
that's been through it already. So so I have to have some sort of drive for myself to to ask someone to be on. Otherwise, it's not, it's going to be very uninspired questions or I mean I freaking love our food talk. Like that was awesome. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was great. I I love the food segment. <laughs> um but I mean, I when I reach out, I make sure that it's not just like I know you from this. I mean, every anyone can know you from that, and that's great. But why? I mean, what do we want to talk about? You have to, one. I have to come up with a subject matter that's interesting to me, so that way, mm-hmm. when I ask these questions, they're not half-assed. They're just like full of like, I need to know because I'm, I'm floundering here. Okay, I got a campaign. It's on the freaking rails. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I I gotta know what I want to ask with some sort of intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and and, and so having this idea of the finality of like having that arc, last arc, mm-hmm. just. One, to me, is super scary. Um, but, I mean, you've already recorded it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this has to be some sort of bittersweet feeling, yeah? Extremely. It's extremely bittersweet. Uh, and it, we're also in an interesting position as a pre-recorded show where, like, we were done in October. And now, like, but we're not done done until it's, it's publicly done. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're also recording epilogues uh, for each, like, we have individual character epilogues that I, like, have scheduled, like, separate time with each player to record. And, like, some of these epilogues bring in other players, you know, so, you know, it's not always just a one-on-one recording. Uh, yeah. But I'm almost done with those. I just need to record two more. Uh, and we're planning on putting out epilogues just not as a stream, but just on our YouTube as soon as, like, the finale comes out for our last Saturday stream. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it has been a really bittersweet experience. Um mostly sweet it's it's been really nice and the finale i i feel both like this was i feel both really lucky and fortunate that it turned out this way and also like you know uh there were definitely ways in which we we attempted to set ourselves up for success to make it this way um but the finale feels really fitting uh it feels like a really good end to this story that has been like two and a half three years in the making and it feels like a really resonant and like logical and fulfilling way to end everything, which is like I I feel that way as a GM, and I know my players feel mm-hmm. that way, kind of like it, like unambiguously across the board, uh, and that's enough for me. And I have I have a good feeling about how the audience will receive it. Like nothing hugely controversial happens where like suddenly aliens attack or it something was, like nothing like absolutely just bonkers. <laughs> no, yeah, it was all a dream exactly. Nothing like that happens, uh, but it does like wrap up in a really in a really nice way actually, and in a way that like. For the last three episodes of Arc 8, particularly the last two, all of us were just crying for, like, the entire thing. Like, it was hard for me to get through a monologue as an NPC or, like, a spiel, like, without just breaking into tears. But in a way that came from, like, a really genuinely affected place. Uh, And I think it, like, adds to... It adds to the show because, like, we were all really genuinely emotionally affected. It was a really emotional and sad goodbye. It's it's a death in some ways, right? There's some grieving involved when you're saying goodbye to a project, right? But we were able to have a little bit of a postmortem. Uh, we were able to sort of, like, you know, through the epilogues and whatnot. Um, and, yeah, nothing but the deepest love to all my players and how they were able to send off their own stories. And... I w- I'm curious uh, for you, Adrian, as a GM who's also thinking about wrapping up your own campaign in some ways. Like, is there anything in particular that's really scaring you? Or is it just like the concept of something ending? <laughs> something uh, I, I've always had, like, I think it's getting to the end. Because I've had mm-hmm. a lot of campaigns. I've had a lot of projects. I've had things that have wor- like gone really good very well and then crash and burn mm-hmm. and then 
all that prepping, all that, those ideas, all that story that I was, that I was creating with my friends or with other people is gone, which really sucks. So for me, when I get there, will I know I'm, I'm, I'm ready to end it? Will I have second guess? Will I, will I, will it be good? <laughs> that's mm-hmm. another, like a big one. Will it be good? Or is it just in my head that like, yeah, no, that's the perfect ending. And it's only just me. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I'm worried about. That's the big thing. Mm. I hear you. Like it's, it's hard because in a lot of ways, especially if it's a show, your voice will probably be the last one as a GM to like close everything out. Like a player, like players might say their final words, and but then it's your job to like end it. You know, like you have to right. spiel it out. You have to like say, and that's where we end the show, or like that. Like there has to be some sort of send off from you as a storyteller most times. Um, so it is a, it is pressure. Like I feel you. I totally feel you on that. It, it is like a good amount of pressure, and what you're the the anxiety you're feeling is super real. Uh, what I will say is like. If you like your players, right? If you're all friends with each other, <laughs> right? No, seriously, like, and there's yeah. trust at the table, and there is love at the table. Like, there's like, trust that, right? Like, when in doubt, ask them how they want their character stories to end. And like, what I like to do, what I did with my dramaturg was we looked at everyone's wishes for the ends of their characters, and I was like, oh, this, w-, and we just sort of came up with like a way to a closing image to end the campaign on that would make the most sense and like it the image like brought tears like to my player's eyes and it was like oh and then, like <laughs> and then like we ended it right um and like also something i will say is like don't be afraid to treat the ending with gravitas like don't be afraid to like to like really to like really own it and be like yeah this is a momentous moment i'm gonna take it super seriously and like this is how we're setting off this story and to like own it as a GM, right? Because, like, that's one of the great joys of facilitating is we kind of get to own, like, what happens in the story and, like, really be that storyteller and, like, be that narrator and that voice that just closes out the chapter for everyone. Yeah, sorry. I'm, like, well, I'm imagining my ending right now. I'm, like, like thinking about what could it be and I'm, like, it does look beautiful. I'm, I'm going to make it beautiful. It's going to be a fucking amazing. Good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Good. That's exactly what I want to hear. All right, we've hit the hour mark. Any last questions, Alex? None for me. Kanye, where can they find you? Yeah, y'all can find me all across the internet at by Connie Chong. That's B-Y-C-O-N-N-I-E-C-H-A-N-G. Namely, Twitter and TikTok are the main places where I prowl. I am also the GM and creative producer for Transplaner RPG, which is the show I've been talking about this entire time. Uh, you can follow Transplaner RPG at T-R-A-N-S, like transgender, planar as an in interplanar travel. So that's P-L-A-N-A-R. And then RPG at Twitch. Uh, on Twitter, those are our main stopping grounds. And on YouTube, where we post all past VODs and whatnot, we also have a website, transplanerrpg.com, that lists all information about where to watch our things, where to catch up on recaps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, who our cast is, what our show's about, et cetera. And yeah, uh, outside of TTRPGs, I am a narrative designer with Bungie, so my entire life is just talking about games and game writing and narrative design and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, don't be a stranger. Uh, follow me on Twitter, follow me on TikTok, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening to me blab on this lovely podcast it was fantastic so like 10 out of 10 stars easily it was amazing it was very informative yeah. put some i want to write voices. a very strongly worded email to bungie and say you know i think <laughs> connie needs a pay raise like i don't know what this <laughs> budget i don't know if her work is actually great but they're great so like 
Just <laughs> yeah, do it. You should, you should leave. Well, why not? Them. Hey, so I don't actually know if Connie's good at her job, but you should give them money. <laughs> Just I increase don't that pay, know bro. Connie, but from an hour of experience with Connie, <laughs> Connie's a okay in my book. Whatever you're doing, it's raise. not enough. <laughs> Double it, triple it. I don't know. <laughs> what are numbers? <laughs> And thank you, dear listener, for joining us on another episode of Dungeons and Degrees. You can continue to follow us on all of the podcasts, all the podcasts, really, Alex, all of the social medias at Dungeon and Degrees. You can also rate us five stars on your favorite podcasting app, share it with your friends, families, enemies, with your delivery food driver, like, just, just. Get our our name out because that is the only way that we grow. If that's really not enough for you and you need to spend that hard-earned money that you are absolutely toiling over, um, you can always throw it at us on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash dungeon and degrees. For as low as $5, you can get an episode without hearing Adrian's voice interrupt you about halfway through. That sounds like a deal to me. I don't know about you, but that's what I would do. And thank you again for listening. Well, thank you all so much for listening. My name's Adrian. And I'm Alex. And I'm Connie. Go have some fun.